Amen. So we are on part 41 in our series uh, going through the book of Mark. And today we're going to be talking about giving our best. Giving our best, a believer's posture for giving. So turn with me to the book of Mark. We're in the book of Mark. We're at chapter 12. In this message, we're going to begin at verse 41, and we're going to end at verse 44. Of course, we're going to look at other passages of Scripture to get the message that the Lord has for us. If you don't mind, let us read Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. We'll end at verse 44. We'll read it together. Ready? Let us begin. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Amen. A familiar piece of passage. Uh, if you have the King James versions, it may have a title of The Widow's Might. A familiar piece of passage about the widow and her offering. Yes, it is about a widow, but more importantly, this is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is about him observing. It is about him assessing. So it is about Wednesday as we pick up the story. A lot of, a lot of scholars like to call this Passion Week. It's the final week of our Lord and Savior's life. On Friday, they will have managed to kill him. By Friday, they will have managed to crucify him. Jesus went directly to the temple and spent the whole day that day preaching the gospel. As he moved around the temple like rabbis customarily do, it's kind of like a floating classroom. Like he goes around and he's teaching in different parts of the temple. It kind of reminds me when I was in grammar school, uh, we had a principal. She was very notorious for just being able to come in undetected and just sit there and observe and to look. Sometimes we catch her coming in and we can all straighten up and fold our hands and say, okay, we're all good. And other times we, we just carry on with our business without even, ever knowing that she was there. And at sometimes she would even come in and help interdict in the lesson. She'd help come in and supplement the lesson. Says, let me teach you about something concerning this lesson right here, whether it be about history or about math. She was a great scholar, but she, sometimes she'd come in to the different classroom, not just to see who was behaving and misbehaving, but just to observe and to teach. And likewise, we see Jesus. He's walking around the temple, and he's teaching, and he's preaching, and he's observing what's going on. So it's kind of like a floating classroom in a massive courtyard of the temple. 
he was confronted by what they called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were just different groups of people. You know, they were high priests, they were scribes, they were Pharisees, and, uh, and all different types of people. So the, they would come at him. And then there was the scribal question that, would, that he would come up. You know, they were asking different questions about. He gave an answer that caused them to leave him alone. It caused them to be in silence and they kind of be in shock. Why? Because in verse 34 in chapter 12, it says this. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. They were done. Uh, after that, there, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. The questioning from that standpoint, from the leaders, they were done. It was an unsuccessful series of traps. They kept coming to Jesus to try to entrap him to say something that would cause him to be arrested. But he silenced them every time. So they figured they couldn't do it by questioning him or tripping him up. So they would have to do it another way. But when we look at our main text here, consider together the meaning and lessons from the gifts of the widows and others. We're going to do this primarily by means of considering several truths about Jesus. So note, first of all, where Jesus sat. Jesus, he was sitting in the temple court. Jesus had been in the temple most of the day teaching. He had been confronted and questioned by his enemies in the temple. And as I was kind of going through the sermon series, I, I thought it was kind of tragic that in the house of the Lord was the place where confrontation was being held at, where deceitful things was being done to, for our Lord, to, to do to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's tragic in the place of worship where it's like a battle zone. Do you realize that Jesus is still present in a special way right here in the temple here? When people visit our church, we should always be considering, can they sense the presence of Jesus? Not just our visitors, but what about us? Can we sense the presence of Jesus when we come into this place to worship him? The scripture says that he said, he said, he said, sat opposite of the treasury. It's interesting that Jesus would sit in, a in this particular location. The treasury was located in what they call the court of women. It was a place where everyone could go and worship and give their offering. Whether you were a priest, whether you were not a priest, whether you were male or whether you were female, it was the place where you could come and give your offering. This place had 13 like trumpet-shaped uh, offering baskets. It's shaped like an like a, a opening in the front and it'll kind of meander down into like an offering box. By means, of, there were these Hebrew letters that would say, well, this offering is for sacrifice. This offering is forgiveness. This one is for penance. So all these different uh, offering boxes, they had a different purpose. So some was for benevolence or whatever it may be. And as the, of course, they didn't have paper money. They had what they called metal coins back then. And they would cast them into these trumpet-shaped like boxes. And they would make loud noises when they put them in. Ting, 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 ting. Lots of noises. So the more money you had, what do you think happened? They made what? More noise. 
So the more money that was cast in, the louder was the sound. Now notice what Jesus did while he was seated opposite of the treasury. According to verse 41, it says this. He saw how people put money in the treasury. The word, tre uh, the word that is translated for saw is this Greek word called theorio. And that word basically means to view carefully, to observe. It's where we get our root word for theater. And that word is used as a way of to observe and to discern with the meaning. And so that word is used right there. So Jesus was observing, not just kind of casually. He was sitting there calmly observing, discerning, and looking, not just passingly, but with intent. Jesus being able to pierce and even look at the intentions in the heart of each and every one who was giving. So he was just not giving these few passing glances at the people, but he kept looking intently, carefully, observing how the people dropped their money into the treasury, that is, into its receptacles. He watched, he watched how the people gave. Would you be surprised that the Lord our Lord and Savior is very interested in our offerings today. He's still interested in it. I believe that this story indicates that God cares about our giving habits. I did say our, right? Our giving habits. God is pleased with offerings made to him and his cause. How people use their money says much about their relationship to God. He has the authority today to stand over the receiving of our offering today. I bet you when we took offering not too long ago, many of us really didn't consider Jesus is here and he is intently observing our worship. Your mind may have been on something else at that time, but Jesus sat at the place where the offering was being received. And I believe he's interested in our offerings today and I believe he notices them. Notice also that the widow and others brought their offerings to the temple. According to Malachi 3 and 10, we are to bring our tithes and offerings into the storehouse, or also it's called the Lord's house. In the book of Acts, the people brought their offerings to the apostles, and distribution was made from the church treasury. So we need to be carefully and follow the biblical pattern of giving to our local churches. But let's look at who Jesus saw. He saw the wealthy giving much. In the last part of the verse says, he says, and many who were rich, they put in much. The rich, they gave generously, but often made a big production out of what they're giving. Sometimes they did that. It doesn't say that they did that right here. But in Matthew 6 and 4, they, it, it tells us that a lot of times they would give big trumpets. They, the trumpet would go out, dun, 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 and the people would give their money. It doesn't say that here, but sometimes, yes, that's what they did. They, and, and they would purposely just pour the money in such a way so it can make a loud noise. He didn't say in this particular case that, the, that this is what they were doing, but it just says that they gave much. The rich gave much. 
So in the book of Acts, like we said, that they were bringing their offerings to the apostles and, they, and then the apostles were distributed according to the church needs. Oh, so we love big givers and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there was no word of condemnation about the rich giving much. So Jesus, he didn't condemn them. He's making an observation. He didn't condemn the rich that were giving much. They were doing right in giving much. They had been blessed by much. So yes, they were expected to give much because they had much to give. The Bible does teach proportional giving, that we should give as God has prospered us. So the more we have received from the Lord, the more, yes, we should give. If we have been blessed financially, yes, we should give more abundantly in thanksgiving to God. God's ideal starting point for giving, the starting point is 10%. The principle of giving this is, we all know, is considered a what? A tithe. Deuteronomy 8 and 18 says this. Deuteronomy 8 and 18 says this. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Many people who have been blessed by God with money have been used by God to give in some miraculous giving. You know, many churches, many foundations, uh, many ministries have been born out of people that have much that gave much. So the point that I'm getting here is Jesus did not condemn them, per se. He just says, and the rich were giving much. So then I would encourage us to allow God to use our giving in wonderful ways and to be a blessing to our church and other Christian ministries. But here's a question that we all have to struggle with. Does our giving reflect our income and our wealth? Does our giving reflect our gratitude to God for our financial blessings? These are things that we have to struggle with. If not, then maybe we need to ask the Lord to help us struggle through that. Some people will hoard their possessions and do almost anything to keep as much as they can. They become selfish and hard-hearted with their money. Learn instead to be generous in our giving. The human mind grows by develop, by, grows and developed by taking in. The human heart grows and developed by giving out. He saw the widow give her two little copper coins. In verse 42 we read, then one poor widow came and threw in two copper coins. The poor widow, she just walked up to the treasury she dropped her two little coins in, and she quietly, she moved on. Have you ever seen a mite? It's real thin. It's real thin. Scholars say that the two, these two little copper coins or a mite barely made up the worth in today's terms of a penny. Now consider me what her gift was. It was not important to most people. The bystanders would have oohed and ah when the rich emptied their bags into their silver coins. They would ooh and ah as they heard the clinking and clanking sound. But when this widow dropped in her two little copper coins, they probably would have had no regard for her little gift of worth of maybe a, maybe a penny. They would count it as probably nothing and probably would not have even bothered to count it. No one noticed favorably what the widow gave that day. But it was important to Jesus. What this widow did was so important in the eyes of Jesus that he summoned all his disciples. 
he came, as he was sitting there observing, he saw this as he was looking intently at all the different people that gave, discerning not just how much they gave, but the heart. Once he saw this, he decided to have all his disciples to come around as a teaching point. It was important to Jesus. So you see, Jesus, he looks not merely at the amount giving, but at the ability of the giver. Not merely the quantity contributed, but at the motive and the heart of the contributor. He knew the heart of this woman, and he considered the sacrifice that even two little copper coals, what that meant for her. If you have little to give, don't think that your little offering isn't important. It may not be very important to man, but it is to God. Let us give as those who remember that the eyes of Christ, they're upon us. He still sees exactly what each person gives, and he knows exactly how much is left behind. It was important to her. She gave willingly, and she delighted to have some small part in the ministry of her Jewish faith. He even saw the people's motives. He was not just noticing what the people gave, but how they gave. Proverbs 16 and 2 says this. Proverbs 16 and 2, it says, all the ways of a man appear in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Say that again. All the ways of a man appear in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. So Jesus, the son of God, could see the motives of the rich people as they gave. Some gave with fanfare, some didn't. But they would very publicly enter their bags and silver coins to the treasury. The sound would be heard over throughout much of the temples, many scholars say. Some of them loved the praise and the recognition they received from their large gifts. On the other hand, Jesus could see the motive of this widow's heart. Her love and devotion were in the gift. I tell you, this is how he measures. So we still have to continue to ask, what is our motive of giving to the Lord and his church? Do we do it just because we love the Lord? Or do we expect to receive some kind of praise or recognition for our gift? I hope our motives are pure when it comes to giving. Well, we have seen where Jesus sat and who he saw giving in the temple. Now, based upon what he had just witnessed, notice with me what Jesus was teaching. While the people were impressed with the large gifts of the rich, Jesus was moved by the gift of the widow. He was moved by her. And so Jesus calls his disciples to himself, and he uses her as example, as a teaching moment. Now, based on what Jesus says, I see three principles about giving in these verses. Three main things by Jesus using this as a teaching point. Point number one, he's teaching that we should give liberally. In the last part of verse 43, Jesus says, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who gave, who had given to the treasury. So based on what she had, she was liberal in her giving. How more liberal can you get when you give all that you have? Jesus said here, um, what Jesus said here was not true on the human scales, but God uses a different type of scale. What this widow gave, it was priceless in his eyes. So let us each do our own duty and give liberally and gladly to the Lord's work. Number two, 
we consider giving, we should give sacrificially. In verse 44, Jesus says, For they put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, she put in all that she had. She put in her whole livelihood. Her gifts showed love and self-denial to the cause and, and uh, then all that of the rich. They gave what they really didn't need. Many of them gave, gave an amount, even though it was large, it really didn't matter too much of them. It really wasn't much of a sacrifice to them because they gave out of their abundance. They knew that their bills would be paid, everything would be met, and so here's the leftover. And because I made much, it seems like much, it didn't really mean that much to them. But she gave to the point of what they call sacrifice. Sometimes I've heard people will use the excuse of the small amount. They'll say, hey, I'm giving, I'm giving my widow's might today. I'm giving my widow's might. They're saying that they're giving it all. But that probably wouldn't be a true statement in the fullest sense of the word when we compare it to the widow's offering. She gave all that she had to live on for the rest of the day or even the week or the month. So have you ever given what they call the widow's might? The rich were just making a comparatively small contribution, but the widow was making a major sacrifice. We learned last week that we should love the Lord with all of our mind and all of our heart, our soul, and our strength. It was about loving God and loving people. And here we see the widow right here, loving God in her worship with all that she had, with her heart and with her substance. Finally, the last verse we see from this story is this. And we should give by faith. As we've seen in verse 44, she gave her two mites, as the King James says, or she gave her two copper coins. She didn't have anything left, not even to buy a loaf of bread. Now, how could she give like that? I was reading, I was like, man, how could she give like that? She gave everything that she had. She had no resources for her next meal. Some would, some would have considered her, that was foolish. I've seen some scholars say that it was foolish for her to do that. There's a lot of comments you'll be sorry. They said that she was foolish for doing this. Shall we say that she might at least have kept one of these small, thin copper coins for herself? But no, she gave both. She gave all the money that she had. So how can we explain it? How can we explain her being able just to give everything that she had, no provisions for anything else? There's only one explanation. She was giving by faith and total dependence on God. She was giving by faith and total dependence on God to provide. After all, all throughout scripture, we say he promised to provide for the widows and the fatherless or the orphans. God promised to provide for them. And he also made provisions for the people to provide for them also. But it was God ultimately doing the providing. So she was giving in faith, totally relying on God's provisions. For some reason, I feel confident that God took care of her needs. I feel confident that God took care of her needs for Jesus to take notice of it and use this as a teaching moment. It doesn't go into detail, but I believe in faith that God took care of her needs. Do you remember the story of Elijah during the famine after God sent to him uh, Sidon uh, to the widow of Zarephath? 
in 1 Kings 7, 8, and 16. You can read it later. I'll go to it now. When he met her, he was gathering what she had for her last meal. Yet she gave the prophet a meal based on God's promise that her flour and her oil would not fail. So yes, God told her, give to this prophet, give your last, you're not going to die. And out of faith, she gave everything that she had, and God provided. So sure enough, God kept providing more and more flour and oil. It never ran out. God provided for the widow and her son and the prophet throughout this famine. So this, like, this, this woman, she exercised great Faith, it got Jesus' attention. He was observing so many people. He was looking intently, not just at the amounts, but the intent behind it. And it caught his attention that he called his disciples together and pointed her out, whereas the average person probably paid no attention to this poor widow. I doubt very seriously that one of us who would give to the point of draining our entire bank account, our savings account, and all of our substance down to a zero balance. It would take great faith in God to do that, but God is worthy of our total and complete trust to provide if he directs us to give like that. He's able to provide. If he directs us to do that, he's able to do this. And, he can do, and we could be... Uh, 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 pleasing in the Lord's eyesight. A couple of things. So what are some wrong motives for giving? Some wrong motives for giving. Number one, and Jesus talks about this many times, pride. If you give to be honored by men for your great generosity, you're giving for the wrong reasons. Giving is to be done in secret before God. Turn with me with Matthew chapter 6. Real quickly, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4. This is Jesus teaching about giving. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we should not give with a prideful spirit to say that I gave this much. I know this sounds crazy for many of you, but there's been several times that I've been to a church and one of, the, one of the parishioners would say, you see this bench right here? I paid for that bench right there. I've actually been to ministries where they've done that. But they said, you see that window pane right there? You see that one right there? That one right there, I paid for that right there. I think that to me that was a prideful type of spirit. We shouldn't give what they call out of guilt also. We should not give because we feel guilty about having so much. If we are, if we are not being good stewards over what God has entrusted to us, then we should repent and give from the right motivation. 
So we should not give out of guilt. We should not give out of greed. Luke 6.38 says this. It says this. Give and it will be given to you. It's wrongly used to motivate people to give so that, they, uh, so that they'll get more. Jesus is not promising that if you give, God will give you more in return. He's stating the principle that if you are generous, if you are a generous person, others will be generous towards you. But you may give and be impoverished because you gave. So a lot of people use that scripture as a wealth and prosperity type of passage. Pressure. Responding to high pressure tactics of, of, of these different type of Christian fundraisers that you kind of see on TV. Saying, hey, give me, uh, send me X amount of dollars and I'm going to send you a, a, a blessed oil or a blessed handkerchief. Also called gimmicks. What are some right motives for giving? Right motives. We should give because God has given to us. I'll say that again. We should give because God has given to us. We should give because we want to please God. Out of our response to God's grace in our life, we should want to please God by pursuing righteousness in God's eyesight. We don't want to be glorified in our giving. We want to give God the glory in our giving. So the widow who gave, she didn't give much in the eyes of men. And some of us may feel like, I gave, but it's not much compared to other people. But just as Jesus was observing across from the temple, as he was observing, looking intently, Jesus is here today. He knows our heart. He knows our motives. He knows our means. He knows we're able to give. And so when we look at this passage of scripture, Jesus thought this as a teaching moment. We shouldn't just be giving just because this is what we're just taught to do. Yes, we have to be taught certain things, but we don't do it as well. This is just what I'm supposed to do. But Jesus is here right now observing us. He's observing what we're doing, and he's observing our heart and our intentions of what we're doing. Jesus is here, and he's observing us. So we should consider when we give, and not just giving of our finances, what about of our time? Are we giving our best? What about our talent that the Lord has so graciously given to us? Are we giving our best? Are we honoring the Lord with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength? It's about loving God. And it's about loving people also. So when we give financially, when we give of our time, when we give of our talents, we should give sacrificially. Some people say, well, I can only just come to church on Sundays. That's all I can do, knowing that God has given us more time, more abundance to do other things if he's leading you to do that. Let us not be stingy in our giving, not just talking about financially, our giving ourselves. We sang that song, we give ourselves away. We sang those praises today, didn't we? We give ourselves away 
so that you can what? Use me. My brothers and sisters, I submit to you, let us do as we sang today. Let us give ourselves away. Jesus is here. He is intently looking at us, not just glancing by. Jesus, the Son of God, who knows the heart of men and women. Let us consider our posture when we're giving to the Lord. I'm not talking about our physical posture. I'm talking about our heart posture. How are we giving? That is the call of action for us to review and meditate to see if we're doing what we just learned last week. That we're loving the Lord with all of our mind, our heart, our soul, and our strength. It's not a type of sermon just to try to make the offering go up. No. It's a heart thing. It's about Jesus. It's about loving the Lord. It's about sacrifice. Jesus who gave himself up for us. We say we give ourselves away to him. But Jesus, he gave himself up for us. Won't we consider Jesus when we consider in our giving? He who gave everything for us, yet while we were still sinners, gave himself for us. So consider the widow when she gave all that she had. It wasn't so much about the amount. She gave what she had. It was an act of faith. This passage of scripture dealt with me, and I pray that it deals and it stirs all of us up a little bit. Sometimes we need messages like this to kind of stir us up, to self-examine ourselves. And I believe that's what the Lord wants us to do because he's watching us and he's intently observing. I pray that Jesus can look to you, 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 and myself and say, consider my brother, consider my sister, they're giving. Let us go in prayer.